Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now, and our reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you'll find it on page 967 over into 968 of the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and Chris is going to come later and speak to us from these verses and give us an update about the work of tear funds. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's on page, begins on page 967 of the Pew Bibles. And as we read, we remember that this is God's word to us. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich." And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, good afternoon. Uh, it's so good to be with you again. I was here about this time last year. If you don't know me, my name is Chris. Uh, oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm the director of Tear Fund here in Northern Ireland. And I just love to be in places like Buckna, especially to come back uh, a second time or maybe a third or fourth time and to reacquaint ourselves with one another. And mostly I like to be here to say thank you. Uh, and so I, I want to start by saying thank you for your generosity down the years, way before my time with Tear Fund, and thank you for your partnership uh, with us. I hope that you sense it's a, it's a really important thing for the life of this church, and I hope you sense it's a kingdom thing, uh, it's a gospel thing, it's, it's a thing that's bigger than any one of us, uh, and I hope you leave today encouraged uh, by the sense that, that you're part of something and are part of something together. Um, so I'm glad to be able to start with that. I wonder, can my slides pop up? There we go. Thank you. That's what I wanted to say to start off with. Uh, you know, I was going to start today with a little snapshot of the kind of world we're living in. And I almost wonder whether I don't need to because we all know, don't we, that we live in a really volatile and a really precarious 
and a really unstable world. And maybe we've been reminded especially of that in the last two to three weeks. Uh, all, of, all of the statistics around uh, poverty are starting to go in the wrong direction. Lots of, lots of those measurements like access to clean water and people who, um, maternal and infant mortality, access to healthcare, all of that sort of thing uh, are starting to, to turn and go in the wrong direction, partly linked to all of that volatility. The UN says 100 million people are displaced. 100 million people who've had to leave their home because of things like conflict uh, or natural disasters um, or needing to move in order to make a living for their family. So you don't really need me to tell you that. I think we sense that. And here we are impacted by that volatility too, aren't we? We're paying more for our energy than we ever have. We're paying more for our food than we ever have. We're linked to what happens globally. Uh, we're anxious when we read the news. But I think too we know that the impact on us is much less than those who are most vulnerable in our world. And as Ian's prayed there, particularly in the Middle East right now, it's those most vulnerable who are caught up and pay the heaviest price for what we're seeing. So it's a really bleak picture, potentially. And maybe you feel when you, when you open your news app, you feel a bit depressed and a bit anxious about that. Uh, so I want to stop that. I want to share something more encouraging. You'll be glad to know this morning. Because underneath all of that uh, chaos and volatility, there is hope. Underneath all of that darkness and pain, I want to tell you this morning, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. I think that's trimmed back now. The building down the road is only one part of your presence and mission in this community, but I sense the church here is alive and well, and there's more to be done. In contrast to the darkness and the pain and the volatility, the church of Jesus Christ is alive and well across the world, and it's taken seriously that commission to make disciples, to partner with the Spirit in what's happening, uh, to, to join in with Jesus in the, the unveiling of his kingdom, to usher in the restoration and renewal of of lives and communities. And so despite all the challenges, Tear Fund's faith, not only in God, but also in his church, is as steadfast as ever. And we really believe that the church can bring change uh, right across the world. So it's this work that gets us up in the morning, this long-term work in partnership with local churches uh, that brings the kingdom and lifts and sees people lifted out of poverty for the long term. But I thought it might be worth asking why. Why does Tear Fund partner with the local church. Almost everywhere, in as many places as is possible, we want to partner with local churches. And that is one of the things that makes Tear Fund unique. Well, let me tell you why. The church is the largest civic society organization in the world. You've maybe never thought of it like that. The church is the largest civic society organization in the world. Now, of course, as Christians, we know it's a whole lot more than that, don't we? <laughs> but right across the world, this morning and this afternoon, churches are gathered. There's a church in every single country in the world. Some of those are invisible. They're not meeting like this. But in almost every country in the world, there are churches. And in lots and lots of countries across the world, there are churches in almost every town. In fact, like this area, there's lots of places where there's more than one church in every town. And so in many places where we work, the church is already in the community where there's a disaster or an emergency or where people live in poverty. And in that emergency context, the church will be there long after the news has moved on and there's another crisis. The church is also uniquely placed to address the needs of the whole person. Lots of stuff we're going to talk about today is about economic need. 
is about physical need, like I talked about with the boys and girls, a lack of important basic things. And of course, you might know that if you do without those things, it starts to impact your relationships, it would impact your spiritual life, it would impact your emotional life, the whole person. Only the church can deal with the whole of a person. Only the church can be God's chosen vessel for transformation because we understand it, don't we, as Christians, that alongside all of those physical and other needs, there is a deep spiritual need. There is something wrong with the world and there's a brokenness and only the church is equipped to stand in that gap. When I was here last year, I very briefly outlined, I'm not going to do it again, what Tearfund understands to be below the surface of, of poverty and of chaos and of all that's wrong with the world. It's sin, ultimately, but the sin causes these four broken relationships. And only the church, by the equipment of God's spirit, can deal with these, deal with the root cause of poverty in a community or in a person's life. So let me tell you a story, if I can, this afternoon that I hope will demonstrate uh, what, I've, what, what is here and what I've described. Uh, the kingdom at hand, as Jesus would have said, God at work in the world, in the lives of real people, in a real community, through a real church, that might look and feel and sound a whole lot different than Bacchanal this morning, but in reality mightn't be that different. Early this year, I had the privilege of traveling to Chad. <clears throat> now, if I asked for a show of hand before I put the map up where Chad was, I expect not many of us would have been able to point it on a map. It's off our radar, it's not a place we hear loads about, but it's right there in North Central Africa, and you can see where it sits, and that's Libya to the north. Uh, I traveled there with some colleagues to, to visit and encourage our team uh, and our partners. And in Southern Chad, I visited a little community that had experienced total transformation over about six or eight years. And I'll tell you more about that in a second. Chad is one of the poorest countries in the world. About half of the population live below the poverty line. Uh, this is a dreadful statistic, and it's so much more than a statistic, but around 20% of children die before they turn five. So a lovely group of boys and girls at the front. And that makes us think about one in five children in Chad dying before their fifth birthday. And so it's really, really very poor. It's been beset by decades of instability, violence, corruption, uh, you name it. On the right, of it is Sudan, we've had a um, civil war there, and on the left is Niger, we've had a coup there. So it's right in the middle of this very unstable region. So we fly to the capital in Jemina, we drive south. Anybody who's ever traveled to a place like this will know that the tarmac just stops maybe 20 kilometers after you leave the capital city on the only real main road in the country. Uh, and after that, the roads just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so for a day and a half, we travel south um, and it feels like just about one step away from desert. Uh, now, I'm from Warringstown, and a bit like Bucknass, it's not a big place, <laughs> but it really felt like the very edge of the world here. Now, to these folk, it's their home, but for me, I felt like one more step and I might fall off the edge. It was so remote and so hot and so barren. We arrive at this little village, about 2,000 people. And I want to encourage you that, as I said at the start, even here, the church of Jesus Christ meets as a body. Even here on the edge of the world, a day and a half's drive from the capital, 2,000 miles or so from where we are, the church of Jesus Christ is there, and it's at work in its community. It's a Hartford's neighbours, just like 
you do here in Bucknell. And so we sat together under this mango tree in the heat of the day, listening to stories of how their community had changed. And so about 10 years ago, the church caught a vision for its responsibility to its community. They wanted to see an end to poverty in their community. They didn't want children dying at the age of five. They didn't want to have to go without water or food or shelter, those basic things that we talked about with the boys and girls. So fast forward eight years. Let me tell you what's happened. The community's developed a sustainable food supply. So kids aren't going hungry anymore. They've diversified their crops. They've trained themselves in agriculture. They've been able to buy machinery or tools. They've sustainable water supply. So they have a solar-powered pump for irrigation. It's really important because the desert is creeping south in Chad. They've got manual drinking pumps for water, so no kid is drinking dirty water. They built a church, which you saw in that picture, to replace the open-air meeting space that they met in before. And they built schooling for children up to the age of 15, meaning every kid in the village was being educated. And not only that, but every family had the resource to send their kid. In the last five years, they've sent 67 young people to university, including 14 young women. Now I think in places like Bakna and Train Waring, lots of our young people go to university. There's a, there's a, that's a normal, a normal pattern. It's not the only way, but it's a normal pattern for lots of boys and girls and young people. Standing there hearing that 14 young women out of 67 young people had gone to university, I couldn't even imagine where they would go. It was so far from anything. And yet they had broken the cycle of generational poverty. This lady and her husband had received a little micro grant from the community, 15 pounds worth. They had bought a pig. Fast forward a few years, as happens, the pig has piglets and they sold the piglets and they bought cows and the cows had calves and they sold the calves and they sold the calves and bought goats. And as he stood, him and his wife stood and talked to me, they had 500 pounds worth of livestock in just a few years. Tavron calls this process church and community transformation because it's the church, it's the community, and it brings transformation. And it's the primary weapon in our arsenal to see and end the fight against poverty. Tavron's only investment in that community was to train and energize and excite the pastor of that church, to resource a facilitator to lead people through a process of change. All of what I described <laughs> was brought about by the local community. Uh, over at the start of this year, Tear Fund uh, commissioned a piece of independent research to show what happens to the money that we invest in this kind of church-led change. So for every one pound invested, that's one pound given, really, by a supporter that comes and ends up in this sort of work, is multiplied by seven because of the resources that a local community puts in. So they bring their own money. People live in poverty bring their own money into the mix. They bring their own uh, resources or skills. They make bricks if that's their skill and they bring that. They bring livestock and donate that into the change process. And that's multiplied again through the process that I'll describe in a second to 211 pounds of social value. That's a quite a complicated way of working out what, what kind of value can you put on things like access to healthcare, uh, community relationships, um, a sense of hopefulness about the future, spiritual vital vitality. And you can read about it on our website if you want. But the point to make is there's a multiplication. One pound in this model goes a very, very long way. 
The kind of process brings churches and communities together through really what is simply a series of Bible studies because we believe the Bible speaks powerfully into lives. And as people read it, they rediscover their worth as individuals made in the image of God. They discover that they've got gifts and resources. Even those who have so little have gifts and resources and skills. And they're encouraged to bring them like the little boy who had bread and fish, to bring them to Jesus and ask him to multiply them. And so all the money saved, spent, invested in business in that community in Chad was the community's own money. They built the well. They built the solar-powered pump. They built the church. They built the school. They paid for the teachers. It's not our money going into this black hole. It's communities changing themselves and their own futures. Remember the couple with the pigs and the cows as we stood under the mango tree? From the very beginning, every time they had a female offspring, they gave it away to a neighbor. Because what had happened wasn't just a change of their physical reality, their spiritual life had changed too. They talked about, as I, as I listened to this story, they talked about a mindset, mindset shift. Because they realized that as they grew more prosperous, as they were able to have the most basic things, they had an obligation to their neighbor. The needs of others were at the front of their mind. And so in this whole process, the church is the key driver of change. The church is right at the very center. And the result is the total transformation of the community. What about the church? What about the impact on the church? The church, let me tell you, thrives. 75% of churches that go through this kind of work see an increase in attendance, see an increase in giving, see an increase in spiritual vitality, see an increase in, in reputation and, and, and thought from those around them. Uh, our partner in the area is this lady called Rebecca. She runs uh, people that we work most closely with in Southern Shah. And she said this when I asked her, this model, the model I just described, is the best tool for evangelism that I know. It allows the church to hold together proclamation, preaching, word, and demonstration, action. And it sees communities transformed and it draws people to the church and to Christ. When the church thrives, the community is transformed. Let me take you briefly to another village, this time in Burundi. And I want to share a short video with you that I hope will just maybe... Uh, let you see this in action, this process of church-led change. This is Burundi in Africa, and this is Cecile, who's walking to fetch water for her family. Oh, yeah, Steve. Oh, okay. Well, then what's in the bucket? <clears throat> this is the school that your donations built, brick by... Oh, then who built it? Of course. Your generous donation. Oh, yeah. Ah. This is the centre of the community that your donations... No, look, it's not, is it? Okay, what did Tear Fund do? Uh-huh. Oh, that's much more helpful. The Tear Fund, we're really passionate that the church is God's chosen vessel for transformation. It's true in Bakna, it's true in Burundi, it's true in Chad, it's true right across the world. Cecile believes it, she understands it. A changed church changes the community. 
she said. Tavron currently partners with around 25,000 churches like that one uh, right across the world. And our vision is to see that multiplied because we're more convinced than ever, even in the few years I've been with Tavron, we're more convinced than ever that this is the answer to some of the big problems that we experience across the world. And so we're, we're sensing the Lord calling us to multiply that number and to work with 250,000 churches across the world. That's 250,000 churches leading the way in changing their communities. And our invitation to you this morning is to, to continue to partner with us to be part of that. We read earlier in Second uh, Corinthians, Paul encourages the church at Corinth through the example of the Macedonian church that even in times of trouble, we're called to recognize God's goodness and generosity and to act in response. Paul calls it the grace of giving. And we could preach a whole sermon on that and many, many more, which I'm not gonna do. But Paul ranks this grace of giving, this, this response of obedience to the Lord, he ranks it alongside faith, speech, earnestness, or passion, things that God gives us and does in our heart. And so it's God that moves us towards generosity. As I said to the boys and girls, the Macedonian church pleaded with Paul for the privilege of giving. Begged with Paul, now I have not seen that in my life. I don't see people, I see lots of people begging for their rights or for acclamation or for position or for respect. I don't know about you, but I see very few people plead for the chance to do good. Let me just read again the last few verses. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard pressed, but that there might be equality or fairness. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered little did not have too little. So really, really briefly, what's Paul saying? Firstly, he recognizes that we live in an unequal world. We know it, don't we? We live in an unequal world. In the last five years, 1% of people have controlled two thirds of new wealth created. So not only do we live in an unequal world, it's getting more unequal. And Paul recognized that. So don't close your eyes and ears to it. We're part of it. Don't shut it away. Be open to that fact. We live in an unequal world. Secondly, Paul reminds his readers and he reminds us, the desire to give is more important than the amount that we give. The desire to give is a gift that God's spirit gives us and so nurture that gift work your generosity muscles regularly one author that i know describes acts of generosity as microaggressions against the spirit of the world which i like little acts of rebellion that correct our course towards reliance upon god once again so the desire to gift is god's work in us Thirdly, we are to give based on what we have. What does sacrificial giving mean to you? Your answer is different than the person beside you. It's different than the person behind you. And lastly, and most importantly, we're to give because we know God's generosity to us. We know God's grace towards us and we respond. We don't give out of some sense of duty. We give out of joyful obedience. In other words, as part Giving is part of our discipleship. It's not something separate over here that sits away off to the side. It's part of what God is doing in our hearts to shape us into Christ-likeness.
So what does that all mean? How can we respond to briefly what Paul's uh, written to the church in Corinth and to what I've shared about what Tear Fund is doing through the church in local communities? Firstly, can I please encourage you to pray? As I said to the boys and girls, please pray for Tear Fund. I would really value your, t- your prayers for, for me and for our team here, but most of all, pray for our work. Pray for Burundi, pray for Chad, pray for the Middle East. If there's a place in your heart, continue to pray for it. If there's not, look at a map and, and read the news and pick somewhere and put it on your heart and ask God to stir you to pray. Uh, and of course, we can respond in, in generosity. And I would urge you to, to continue, and I say continue because this is a generous church, continue and grow in generosity if shown over many years. We work really hard to spend every pound uh, really, really well. And indeed, as I've described, to see it multiplied and do even more than it might. I know many of you support Tear Fund on your own or as a family. Thank you for that. But there's something exciting too, isn't there, when we, when we give together because we get a sense of, of impact. £300 can train 10 local communities to begin the process I've described that I saw in Chad. Whole life change, whole communities transformed, led by church. In the last couple of years, this congregation has given around £3,000 a year to tier funds. So that's 100 communities able to start this sort of work in partnership with their local church. 100 communities, just like Bucknaw, just like the one or two that you've seen today. I wonder how many communities this morning and over the next couple of weeks this church could partner with to see change. My invitation to you is to continue to partner with us. Continue to be people who grow in the grace of giving, not out of obligation, but a joyful response to what Christ's done in our lives and to practice generosity. Not for the glory of Tear Fund, certainly not. Not for the glory of Bucknell Presbyterian or the reputation of you, certainly not. For the glory of Jesus and for the work of his kingdom across the world. Let me pray for us. God of love, we thank you for your church. Thank you for its expression here in Bakna. We thank you for local churches right across the world who have a heart to serve their communities and offer the hope of Christ. Lord, bless your church. God, we, we pray that you would stir in us the grace of giving. Thank you for this congregation. Holy Spirit, help them to grow and continue in generosity. And Lord, for the congregation here as they get excited about the future for that building that's down the road, Holy Spirit, continue to do a thing in the hearts and lives of this congregation and continue to, may your kingdom be at hand, Lord, in the neighborhood and in the towns and in the area nearby. Lord Jesus, we love you and we respond to what you've done in our lives by saying thank you. Amen.